0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Injury updates for Gordon Hayward and Marcus Smart, plus an in-depth conversation about the Miami Heat with Nikaias Duncan. It's the Wednesday Locked On Celtics podcast. Millie's let's go. It's so hyped right now. Many things possible. It's not
1: Yeah, and yeah. Jay's back with the vengeance. Back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. Ooh. This is the truth like 34. Yeah. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars
0: Wednesday, hump day, and I'm here to get you through it. John Corral is here from MassLive.com. I cover this team on a daily basis, so I hope you enjoy some of the in-depth conversations, in-depth knowledge that we're trying to give you here on the Boston Celtics on the Locked On Celtics podcast. You'll get the conversation with Nikias Duncan in segments two and three So we had a nice about 20 minute conversation there. So, uh, the Miami Heat, thankfully for the Boston Celtics, just finished off an overtime game against the Toronto Raptors. They won hard fought game, 121 110. So they'll be coming in late and it'll be a tough back to back for them. They just beat my, uh, they just became the first team to win in Toronto, which is impressive. They've got wins in Milwaukee and in Toronto. So that, that's pretty big for the Heat who are surprising people. They're 15-5 and five now, tied with Toronto, actually now because of the win, ahead of Toronto in uh, the standings for second place in the East early in the season. So that's going to be a tough game, but very advantageous situation for the Celtics. The Celtics will probably not have Marcus Smart. He's listed as doubtful. Not only did he have the oblique thing, he was sick. So he did not practice on Tuesday. The good thing is, Brad Stevens says, it seems like the oblique is a more of a contusion, a bruise. Uh, but anything that limits a player's mobility there in the trunk, in the core, that you just don't want to mess with that. Because if it's sore, first of all, he's not going to be able to move well. Everything comes from that core area. And Marcus Smart's a maniac. So you don't want to push him or put him in those situations where he's going to have to push himself it might just be easier to just miss that game and and get himself ready for the next one. And like I said in the last podcast, he, he can miss a, a little bit of time here without missing too many games. They play Miami on Wednesday. They play Denver on Friday. And then they go to Cleveland on the following Monday. So two tough matchups. But then after that, eases up just a little bit. The schedule eases up a little bit. Two days off before this Miami game. Two days off before the Cleveland game, and then after a back-to-back with Indy, Philly, they've got five days off before a game in Dallas. By the way, that Dallas game on the 18th has been flexed and is now a 9:30 p.m. start because it's now going into the uh, ESPN broadcast. ESPN is slowly seems like they're they're taking uh, the Golden State Warriors off. The national TV schedule, and they're flexing these games. You you can go two weeks out, and the NBA can kind of put other games in those marquee spots, and so that this is one of them. They did two. I think they added a Clippers game or a couple of weeks from now, and removed the Warriors game. So that eighteenth, that that game in Dallas, nine thirty p.m. Eastern start, uh, in Dallas. Uh, and that's going to be the ESPN game. So who knows how long Marcus Smart's going to be out. On top of, like I said, the oblique thing, which I just talked about, he was sick. He did not practice on Tuesday. Gordon Hayward was at practice on Tuesday. Gordon Hayward, obviously coming back from the broken hand. I talked a lot about this over the last couple of days. The latest update is that he's starting to ramp up the contact. He didn't go through full contact practice. The Celtics' Brad Stevens said, they didn't go live on Tuesday. So there was no full contact, anything for him to go through. They went through some kind of drills, which he can participate in because defense and, and as long as his hand's not getting hit, he's fine. They're not, there's no ball. There's no reaching in or any of that stuff, just doing kind of like sort of live stuff. So he did that. Uh, he said that he did, he put it, uh, hybrid contact. Uh, He went through contact with the coaches, which is a funny quote because, you know, I did some contact with the coaches. I kind of wanted to start there. Coaches aren't quite NBA players. I know some of them played basketball prior, but before getting to that level, I just wanted to get comfortable using my left hand in live situations, which I did today. That's good. It went well, he said. And going up against the coaches, obviously there's, you know, that's a, a nice soft first step. Some of these guys have played at a pretty high level, but obviously they're not active NBA players, so that's what Gordon Hayward is talking about there. Uh, it's great that he's in this position now, three weeks in, starting to ramp things up, go through whatever contact there is there to to try and test that hand. He is not wearing a pad on the hand. He does not like wearing a pad on that hand. I don't know if he's going to need to, or they, he did say that there's... Uh, going to be, they're going to look into a a pad or a wrap, but he says he doesn't like things in his hands. It's hard to play the game, uh, with something on his hands. Now it's his left hand, but still you're dribbling with that left hand. And if there's a big pad or glove, you don't get the same feel. Uh, maybe they can cut the fingers off and it's just a little bit of padding on either side, but he likes to make those passes, those wraparound passes with the left hand. And if there's something on that hand, it could impact how he passes the ball. It could impact how he plays. So I think he's going to try it without a pad. Uh, he's not close in terms of, I don't know if he's going to be back. He's certainly not coming back this week. I don't know how much practice time is going to be available to him between now and maybe a week from now, uh, when I think we're starting to get in range of when he can play, uh, I've been looking at that four-week range as as the first kind of test of all right, is he coming back? So this week, even though he's ramping things up, I don't think anybody expected him to be back this week. So he'll miss Miami. He'll miss Denver, Cleveland. I'm not. I'm not sure about. Like we'll see. That's that's a week from. That's less than a week from from Tuesday, and it didn't seem like. That conversation today kind of lent itself to a return in a week. He's, there's going to be pain, he said. Uh, I think he's going to have to go through some live stuff before they, they bring him back to see, like, they want to get him through a live practice to see how we can handle things. Um, maybe, maybe they can simulate that somehow. If they don't have the opportunity to practice, the next full live practice will probably be next. Sunday, so that's four weeks and a day after the injury. Uh, they play Miami Wednesday. They have an off day Thursday. They play Denver on Friday. They'll have an off day on Saturday, and then Sunday will be a practice, practice, and then travel. Get to Cleveland, play that Cleveland game. They probably don't need – oh, no, I'm sorry. Not travel day. Cleveland's a home game. So they play Cleveland at home – so they'll practice, play Cleveland on Monday, Tuesday's a travel day when they go to Indianapolis. So that's going to be, um, that's the schedule. So if I had to guess, my guess is the earliest opportunity for him to come back might be that Cleveland game, might be that Indy game. Uh, that's the four-week time frame. They may decide to hold them out and go the five-week time frame because after Philly, the back-to-back, they'll have that Friday off. They may practice Saturday or Sunday. Maybe they do two days off and get the guys some rest and make Saturday an optional day or something and then go practice Sunday, practice Monday, practice Tuesday early before they get out to Dallas. Uh, And that'll be the ramp-up. For Gordon Hayward. And this way he can go through a practice on Sunday and really test it out. Practice again on Monday if it feels good. And then they can figure out if they can clear him. That would be the five-week time frame. Uh, Christmas is the six-week time frame. I'd, I'd be surprised if it went that long. So that's that's what we're looking at injury-wise. Up next, the conversation with the Caius Duncan getting in-depth... About the Miami Heat, the next opponent, it's going to be a tough challenge. It's going to be a tough game for the Boston Celtics. Some real uh, challenges on the perimeter with three-point shooting, some challenges defensively, some challenges against that defense. So stick around for my conversation with Nikaias Duncan next on the Lockdown Celtics Podcast.
2: Let the Locked On NBA Network of Podcasts take care
0: of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA Podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The Miami Heat became the first team to win in Toronto this season, beating the Raptors 121-110. It's their fourth win of the season over a winning team. It's a big win for them, and now they come to Boston, fresh off that overtime game, and so things kind of worked out well for the Celtics here, but if you haven't been paying attention to the Miami Heat, now, uh, that you look, they're in, they're in second place in the East, and we are bringing one of the foremost heat experts, let's say. How's that work for you? Nikias Duncan. <laughs> I uh, will take it. You'll take it. Uh, <laughs> What's kind of the nice You can read his work on Bleacher Report, on SB Nation, uh, Miami Heat Beat, uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at NBA. Thanks for uh, hopping on for a few minutes. Got to shout out Alex Kungu, by the way, who basically demanded that I have you on the show.
1: That is my guy. I am forever grateful. Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: As I said, I'm a man of the people. The people demand it. I'm here to deliver. I'm merely a servant. So, uh, Let's get into some of uh, what we saw. Celtics fans may not be, you know, everybody's so focused on the uh what the, what this team is doing maybe they haven't been paying attention the Miami Heat are now 15 and 5 they're tied for second in the in the east and now the Celtics will have to potentially leapfrog them but we'll start with what we saw in the overtime which was Jimmy Butler going completely bonkers and and carrying this team he scored what like seven straight points the, the first seven points in overtime how has Jimmy Butler been for the Miami Heat
1: uh it starts with his playmaking and his defense. And I guess it actually kind of goes hand in hand. He's a great defensive playmaker as well. He's been fantastic as a um kind of as a guy that's roaming off ball. He leads the NBA in steals. He's up towards the top of the league in deflections. He's just kind of everywhere. He loves to shoot the gap that way. It's exciting when it works. Um did have some for what I saw in the overtime, did also have some gambles that didn't quite work, but Toronto couldn't hit anything from deep. But uh, he's been fantastic defensively, really haven't had much of an effort issue that um, some of the other fan bases had with him last year. So that's a positive. We'll see how long that lasts. It's a long season. Um, offensively, he's taken kind of a back seat as a scorer, which has been a little bit odd. He's obviously a career high in assists. He's been a really good play back at a pick and roll. He's kind of empowering the young guys, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, when they're on the floor with him, kind of let them get their shots. But he's shown like earlier in the season against Phoenix when he had the 30-point first half, um, as we saw in the overtime tonight against Toronto, he can get to the basket whenever he really – when he wants to. The finishing has been down this year, but he just has an ability to take over a game on a whim, and that's what Miami's really been missing over the last two years.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with this because that's – first of all, he's like a Pat Riley kind of guy. You know, He's he's got an edge – um, he's very happy to like get under somebody's skin. Um, he's got the balls to go out there in, in the fourth quarter or in overtime and, and be a takeover finisher kind of guy. I mean, isn't that what we were saying about Philly? Like, oh, geez, they lost, they lost their closer. Now Miami gained the <laughs> closer. And like you said, the assists are up. He had 12 assists in this game, 22 points and 12 assists in the win against uh the the Raptors. So uh in fact it was a triple-double. He had 13 rebounds, so uh hell of a game for Jimmy Butler there. Uh but Miami having that closer is, is part of what makes them so dangerous. Now, obviously, of the 15 and five. That they're four and five now against winning teams. So all five of their losses come against winning teams. Uh, and that means they were what 11 and 0 against losing teams. So they got fat on some of the, the lesser teams in the NBA. And now this is their challenge. So challenge one, they passed that Butler's part of that. Um, now challenge two comes against Boston. Let's see what they can do against the Celtics. You mentioned some names there that you wouldn't expect as contributors, like undrafted Duncan Robinson now kind of coming into his own in his second year. He had 22 points in this game. Uh, you mentioned uh, Kendrick Nunn, who was just uh, rookie, rookie of the Month, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you got some guys here. Uh, Tyler Hero, who I know the Celtics liked and, and might have gone for if he was still available, has had a, a pretty good start to his career. These are all guys that no one really expected Miami to kind of be leaning on and to be performing this way.
1: And mm. that's it that's what's making it easy to be excited about this Heat team because, as I said, Jimmy Butler's had kind of a slow start this year as a scorer, and the fact that your Kendrick Nuns, your just um, your Kendrick Nuns, your Tyler Heroes, your Duncan Robinson have kind of been holding their own as shooters and as scorers. Um, kind of makes you envision, all right, what happens when Jimmy Butler starts back finishing at the rim at a high rate? What happens if he isn't shooting 18% from mid-range when he loves pull-up jumpers? Once that comes up, then the heat can really become scary because the defensive foundation is always going to be there. Eric Spoelstra is going, to going to coach a top defense. It really doesn't matter who you throw out there with him. It's the offense that's been the issue over the last two years. They have their closing now on Jimmy Butler. They have legitimate shooters in Robinson, Dunn, and Hero, and that's just the foundation of a really good two-way team.
0: Yeah, and and to do it without Goran Dragić, I mean Dragić w- we came into the season thinking like Dragić was going to be we talked about him more like a contract rather than a player. And uh-huh. now all of a sudden he's become a pretty important player for the Heat and and the dynamics of what the Miami Heat are going to be are, are changing and I'm I'm not hearing so much trading Dragić that but Miami is kind of like in the are they buying are they selling kind of like what are they going to do with their roster because for all of their success their 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 cap sheet is kind of a mess and yeah. you, you just wonder like what's what's the feeling when it comes to Drajic and maybe even we can fold in the um, the um, geez I just drew a blank uh, Justice Winslow. Uh, conversation because now justice Winslow hasn't played a ton. He had the concussion earlier. Um, so he hasn't played a a ton of games and now he's coming off the bench where there was some talk about him being a starting point guard. I don't, I don't know exactly what's happening with Miami's point guard position. Um, but like, what do you see from that?
1: Um, I will say from the Heat's perspective, I think they want to keep all three, ideally. Kendrick Nunn has been a revelation. He's cost control. They love Justice Winslow and what he brings and how much he unlocks on both ends because of his versatility. They also love Goran Dragic. He's been a pro's pro. Um, a steady ball handler. He's added a off-the-dribble three to his game over the last couple of seasons, and now that's really shown, it's really shown through this year in that bench role. Um, for me, I feel like Goran is going to end up being the odd man out. It's partly because of the contract. It's a big expiring, and if the Heat goes star-hunted, they're going to need him as that salary filler to begin with. Sure. But also, if they are invested in Justice Winslow's long-term as a point guard, and they should be, and if Kendrick Nunn is real, which he seems to be, at the very least, a talented scorer, and he's a cost-control guy who's only 24 years old, the only real thing the Heat are missing, outside of like another elite shot creator, they're kind of missing another 3 and D wing. They kind of want Derek Jones Junior. to be that guy, but he's more of a forward than a wing, just because of the ball handling. So I think if you're going to trade Gorn, I think you need to be in the hunt for one of those mid-salary type wings, just to kind of complete the roster a little bit. I do think if he can go that route. Gorn's the guy you do that with.
0: So that'll be interesting. Just just something for Celtics fans to keep an eye on as the as the the season progresses, um, because again, with, with success. You, it, you're not sure how a team's going to react to success. Again, defeat 15 and five, what's going to happen? Where does that change their their dynamic? Follow us on our social channels at Lo Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Now they're winning a lot with defense. Uh, they, I think they came into this game the sixth-ranked defense in the uh, in the NBA, uh, which is is really good. And I think that starts. Uh, well, you've got a couple of defenders. Winslow's a great defender, but Bam Adebayo is is like <clears throat> a big key for what Miami's doing this year, but on both ends of the floor. Um, this is kind of a breakout year for him.
1: Yeah, he's. I think he's. Fir- he should firmly be entrenched in most improved player talks and defensive player of the year talks. I would not put him on like the Gold Bear, the Marcus Smart, Anthony Davis type level, but he's probably firmly in that second tier. Um, he's a good rim protector when Miami allows him to drop. He obviously has fantastic feet. He's able to hang with guards on the perimeter, and that switchability allows Miami to shut down a lot of positions towards the end of the clock because you can trust him to keep a guard out of the lane and contest, um, he had a nice shot, a nice block shot on Pascal Siakam earlier in the game. I tweeted out that clip before I had to go <laughs> back to work. But uh, yeah, he has been absurd at all in all levels. He's ending possessions. I thought Miami was going to have some issues rebounding the ball with the loss of Hassan Whiteside, which would have been one of the very few negatives about getting rid of him. But uh, Bams held his own held his own in that regard as well. There really isn't anything bad to say about him, especially defensively. He's been fantastic.
0: Yeah, he's he really has. I mean, he really he. I would say that while the attention is going to be on Jimmy Butler for his big overtime, uh, I, I think this game against Toronto was won by Bam Adebayo and his defense against Pascal Siakam. Siakam never really could get going. He shot thirty five percent in the night, five of fourteen. Hey, he looked uncomfortable most of the night uh he had to work for everything that he got uh it, it was really uh, really an impressive defensive effort from from Adebayo uh and and I think the the thing that if from a Celtics perspective now having Adebayo there not just patrolling the rim but being able to switch that that's going to be very difficult you you look at uh Jason Tatum Jalen Brown trying to attack they're going to have problems trying to finish around out of bios.
1: Yeah, because on top of him being incredibly mobile, he has a seven three wingspan as well, and he does not have much issue getting up off the ground. So it's going to be tough for them, especially if it kind of devolves into like an isolation game. They're going to have their issues with him.
0: Yeah, so if the Celtics are going to end up beating Miami, the, the, I, I think they're going to have to move the ball anyway. You, you have to you have to really try and get this guy out of position and try to take advantage. This is, this is tough. I mean, they could throw out a defensive lineup that has Jimmy Butler, Justice Winslow out of bio. So they can, they can really be disruptive at the point of attack, uh, out on the perimeter out of bio can switch. He can protect the rim. You really, really have to emphasize the ball movement. And now after coming off a, an overtime game on a back to back, you go from Toronto to Boston. It's not the longest flight in the world, but they're, it's it's 10.46 p.m. as we record this on Tuesday night. They're still in Toronto right now. They're not getting into Boston until probably 3 in the morning. So it's going to be a short turnaround for them. Uh, that's life in the NBA. But if the Celtics, to win this game, it's going to be ball movement pressure right away and try and jump out to a big lead. The last thing you need to do with these guys is, is give them a boost of energy and Uh, because they can, they can ride that energy if they keep it close. The one thing, the one stat that I saw when the, uh, when the Heat are leading after one, I think they're undefeated or something like that. So they, they're very good when they get out in front early.
1: Mm -hmm. I think the big thing, the big matchup there is going to be, well, it's twofold. Um, on one end, Miami's three-point shooting has been really good this year. Boston obviously has been one of the best defensive teams against the three for, it feels like, my entire <laughs> adult
2: life.
1: Brad <laughs> <laughs> um, Stevens does a fantastic job of treating that. And uh, coming on the road back-to-back, back, there may be some dead legs, so if the Heat don't have the three ball falling, that's going to allow Boston to get on transition, and then maybe things can kind of snowball from there. On the other end, Miami does employ um, a drop coverage scheme. Um, Kendrick Nunn has been shaky at the point of attack, to say the least. He started out the year hot, and then teams just kind of started using his aggressiveness against him. So this could be a very big Kemba game. Yeah, and I believe he has a pull-up jumper going, and things can kind of snowball from there because Boston has a really good half-court defense, and if Miami can't get stops, you know, trying to generate good looks against a good defense in the half-court all night is going to be tough.
0: Yeah, that that's going to be the key for for the Celtics for sure. Kemba against. Uh, if none if none's not going to be able to navigate that pick and roll, what Kemba did uh, against Brooklyn at home was draw Jared Allen out uh, in the first half of the game. Allen, is, is, who's a mobile big, like you know, so at a bio, there's some some parallels there. You have that drop coverage, okay, but if Kemba's going to be hitting those pull-ups from the free throw line then that, dro- that guy who's dropping is not going to be able to, to drop as low as he normally would. And in that mm-hmm. Brooklyn game, Jared Allen, by, by the fourth quarter, was up at the three-point line trying to stop. Huh. And at that point, Kemba was just like, all right, you're toast. And then he would turn the corner, cut in front of Jared Allen, and then slow-foot him into fouls. And, and so... That, that would be something that I think we would look for. So good call by you on a, on a big Kemba game. Uh, the, the one thing uh, that could be an advantage for the uh, Heat here is uh, going to their bench. And the Celtics bench has been shaky for the most part, especially as they deal with injuries. Marcus Smart might be out for this game. Gordon Hayward is still uh, nursing that broken hand. He's not going to be back yet. So what have you seen from the Miami bench that they could maybe lean on in a game like this?
1: Um, I think, well, ideally it would start with Goran Dragic because he's been their bench. He's been their best bench guy. But he's going to be out. He's dealing with the groin injury still. Right. So I think it's going to have to be a big bounce back game for Tyler Hero. Um, he did not shoot well against Toronto tonight. Um, obviously, the second night of a back to back, it might be tough to get him going. But he's a guy that's going to have to shake loose off screens, um force Boston to kind of pressure up. Maybe that unlocks the pull-up jumper. He's an underrated passer. That was one of the things that I underrated about him coming out coming out of the class this year. Um he can make just about any read that you need him to. I'm mm-hmm. um, still a little fuzzy on those corner skips, but he can make basic reads. So if his jumper is going, that can force the defense to press up and then you can get the ball moving that way once he sees the defense rotating over. Um they're gonna need a big night from him. If Justice Winslow is still gonna be coming off the bench. Um, obviously he's going to have to kind of dictate the flow a little bit. Don't allow Boston to get out and run. Um, don't allow Boston to force turnovers. Just kind of keep the offense calm while Jimmy Butler sits. Um, it's going to be those two. Um, Derrick Jones Jr. is an intriguing matchup against Boston's front court. If he can get some offensive rebounds, um, some weak side blocks, if he can get out and transition. I think that'll be good for Miami as well. They're going to need all the energy they can get in this game.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned the Celtics three point defense. It's been it's been great, generally speaking. Like you said, the past few games, it's been pretty bad. Um, now they've they've let some good shooters get going. Uh, Buddy Hield has torched them a couple of times, and, and it's been kind of lazy. So if if they're not careful, it, a guy like Hero can hurt them. Uh, so that that's going to be something to watch for in this game as well. We can't talk about the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Without talking about our boy Kelly Alinek.
1: <laughs> oh man, the shoulder just <laughs> we love to see. It.
0: So, so what's what's been your impression of Kelly Olenek? Are, are you have you been just as uh, frustrated by him pump faking himself out of open threes?
1: Oh, buddy, oh, that, was a, that was a big issue of mine <laughs> last year. Not so much this year. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, the pump faking out of three thing has kind of transitioned over to Myers Leonard at this point because now he just passes up all of the open looks. But uh Kelly Olenek uh, has been fine. He started out the year a little bit slow. But, um, the Heat kind of shifted more from their dribble handoff stuff to more pick-and-roll offense. They've also doing a lot of post-split stuff. So the dribble handoff randomness that you get from Kelly Olenek wasn't there early in the year. So you could tell there was a bit of an adjustment for him. But over the last week or so, Kelly's been great. Um, the heat have been outscoring teams by a bunch with him on the floor now. Um the three ball is falling. He's willing to be taking above the break threes, which is great, uh to say the least, because you know, last year he passed up quite a few of those.
0: Um it wasn't just last year. <laughs> uh, I, I wanna be nice. <laughs> it, no, it was it was it, my it's s- been a bit of- I, and I've been pro Kelly Olenek. Like, I like Kelly Olenek. I, I think that there, there are aspects of his game that are underrated. But the pump faking out of open threes was always, like, the thing. Like, just shoot the damn ball. But, yes. But if you look, like, he was... Uh, against Miami, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, against Toronto, 16 points on six of 12 shooting, three of seven from three. I mean, he was good. He was good in that game. He's had some really good shooting nights. It's another guy that the Celtics could, could get torched by. But I'm sorry, you were you were you are in the middle of something with a Linux and I just kind of interrupted you.
1: Oh no, I'm just saying um, the shooting has been there. The underrated playmaking has also been there. The Heat are starting to get some more of those. Um, Starting to get some more of those dribble handoffs in, especially once like their second or third action in the half court breaks down. So that kind of allows Kelly to freelance a little bit, and that's his comfort zone. So he's um, he's been a real big guy for them.
0: So before we wrap it up, uh, what's your read overall on the Miami Heat here? It looks like the East is uh, Milwaukee off in a, in a stratosphere by themselves, and then mm-hmm. – You would say that Miami, Toronto, Boston, they're, and Philly, they're all in that next mix kind of jumbled together. I don't know if you include the Pacers in that. I'm not at this point, but they're, they're close. Mm -hmm. Is, is Miami for real in this mix of Miami, Toronto, Boston, Philly? Uh, maybe people want to put Philly above those teams or whatever. I don't care. Um, Considering what you've seen, considering the level of competition, considering this win against a really good team, how how real do you feel like the Miami Heat are? Is this legit what we're seeing? I think it's pretty legit at this
1: point. Uh, like I said, the defensive foundation was always going to be there with Eric Spoelstra. Anytime you can put Jimmy Butler, Justice Winslow, and Bam Adebayo on the court at the same time, um, good luck scoring the basketball. It really doesn't matter who the other two guys are at that point. Um, Jimmy Butler now gives Miami a guy that can swing a game or in the playoffs, that they can swing a series just because he can just take over on a whim. And I think that makes them dangerous against anyone. I think in terms of the actual matchups, the only team that should legitimately scare Miami, I believe is Philadelphia just because of their size. Yeah. I think otherwise Miami has, they have the personnel to at least match up with the Boston. They can match up with the eyes. They have multiple guys they can throw at Giannis, even if he'll still be the best player in that series. Um, you know, guys, Uh, Miami just has that matchup there. They have that versatility. With Mm -hmm. Philly, they have nobody for Joel Embiid. Um, They don't really have... I mean, Justice Winslow is a really good defender of Ben Simmons. But if Justice Winslow has to dig down to kind of help on those post-ups, then that kind of renders his effectiveness a little bit. There's just so much left in Philadelphia. And there are some half-court questions when it comes to Bam out of bio If a guy like Joel Embiid is sagging off him... Um Bam did make a couple of floaters tonight. That was encouraging to see him taking some shots there. But if they're going to basically guard Miami like this four on five, then I'm not sure how Miami has enough offense to really dent Philly. But other than that, I think Miami can compete with anyone.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like that's we're, – we're in a, a nice kind of place here in the East. Uh, people will say what they want about the East, and the bottom half of the East is terrible. We we know that. But the top half of the East is is really – Pretty good, and and these teams can can certainly compete. Miami, one of the the feel good stories in the NBA, a, a little bit of surprise. I know some people s- picked Miami to to do pretty well, but I don't know how many people had them being this good, this quick. Uh, Nikias Duncan, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, follow him uh, on Twitter at Nikias NBA. Follow his work. He worked. He he writes a, a Bleacher Report, uh, SB Nation, and the Miami Heat beat. So uh thanks for coming on for a little bit.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Nikias for coming on. Great stuff there. Hope you learned a lot about the Miami Heat and what to expect in this game. Uh you, Again, you can follow him at NBA on Twitter, and you've got all of the links in his profile there of where he writes. He's a great follow, so check him out. Hope you've enjoyed the show. If you're a new listener, if you're one of Nikias' uh, Nikias's, uh, followers and you're listening to the show, welcome aboard. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to get Celtic stuff, you want to subscribe to the podcast, please do. Uh, we're here daily, Monday through Friday. So uh, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available, anywhere, anything, any app that you use, it's there. All of you regular subscribers, so I hope this is a five star podcast for you. Give me that five star rating, that good written review. I keep asking for it every show. But it means a lot. It really is meaningful. It's not just a throwaway thing. If you've got an opportunity to give a rating and a review somewhere, wherever, please do so. It really, really helps as people sample the show. Think about it like a Yelp review. If you're checking out a new restaurant and it's got a ton of good reviews, there's a good chance you're going to go. So this, uh, this podcast is free. It's daily. But your form of payment to me is that good written review. And that five-star rating, it really, really helps. So do that and share the podcast. Tell everybody to listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.